Thank you for listening to this episode of the Following Films podcast. Today I'm joined by horror legend Danielle Harris to discuss her latest film, Dark Obsession. In the film, aspiring painter Anne is haunted by the sudden and unexplained departure of her husband. Sinking deeper into her self-imposed isolation, Anne finds support in Maya, her closest confidant. While their friendship blossoms from tragedy, a shared disquiet takes root in Anne's tight-knit community when unsettling questions are raised about Maya. But before my conversation with Danielle, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Bookman's, an independent bookstore that believes in the magic of storytelling and the cinematic arts. If you're looking to expand your collection of films, music, or books, be sure to visit your nearest Bookman's and discover something truly wonderful. If you haven't already, please follow the following films podcast on Spotify to show your support. This will help us to continue to bring you in-depth conversations with the talented individuals who shape the world of cinema. Dark Obsession is currently available on demand. I hope you enjoy the show. Thanks. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this today. I really appreciate it. Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, In doing a little bit of research on you, I think we have something in common having young kids during the pandemic mm-hmm. and what that was like you were i have a eight-year-old and a 13-year-old but you were like right on the edge of that and i was just wondering yeah. what was that like for you um to go through that just because i think some of the things we took away actually tie right into this film in particular yeah uh i mean also my nephew was living with us too uh <laughs> so i had a sure. a three or a two Two, four, and six were the three wow. boys in the house. Yeah. So it was lots of nakedness and <laughs> penises and like just stuff. You know, you tried to like do school and keep them the structure and that's like two days. And you're like, I don't care. Have an ice pop for breakfast. Just do whatever the fuck you want. I don't, I'm hands off, whatever. Um, so, you know, I, I talked about this earlier. One of the, one of the great things that came out of COVID was the ability to be creative Mm-hmm. And to take on projects that I probably wouldn't have done before, which was awesome. Um, the weirdest part about COVID and kids is once they got out of the house, they didn't understand how to function in society. You know, we went to a restaurant for the first time and they got up, with their, their, they finished their plate and they stood up with their plate as though to take it into the kitchen. They didn't understand that somebody <laughs> was going to come take it for them. So they were thrilled. Um but I think a lot of I'm, you know, and 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 going to people's homes, being you know, once COVID was yeah. over, going and visiting friends at their house, they didn't know how to act in someone's house. They were like shell shocked and shy and didn't know what they could play with and who they could talk to and and how to navigate the world. I'm hoping that they won't remember any of it. I don't think that they will. When I tell them about it, they're going to be like, "Wow, I can't believe we had to go through that, Mom." I mean, we uh, unfortunately we're going to have to remember it. But uh, it was it was quite challenging, that's for sure. But I also enjoyed staying home with them. I mean, that's the selfish part. There's that that gross part of it that was there was a stolen time that I had with my kids, and I know yeah. I will never get that back. And something no, and it was such a great age for me to just have them and see and watch everything that they were you know they were learning it was really cool. Is that has that been a transition getting back to work and kind of uh, being gone more than you were during that time period? Oh shit, my mom is FaceTiming me. <laughs> of course she is. Why? How? Do, I got to turn off my my thing. Um. Uh. No, I mean I kept working through it. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't really like to be away from my kids for more than a week at a time. Okay. So I mean, if if it's you know, I pretty much 
say to my husband, like, okay, the first half of the year you're working, the second half of the year I'm working because there always has to be a parent at home. And second half of the year, I'm always busiest because it's fall and conventions yep. and movies are always filming during that time for me. So like right now, I don't have anything to do as far as film wise yet, other than a couple of little things. Um, but, you know, I always say that and then stuff comes. I always say, oh, I have off till June. And then I'm like, you know, three days later, I'm like, well, I got a movie in Minnesota. I'm going to be gone for two weeks. So I'll go and then I'll come back for a weekend and you know, see the kids or my husband will bring the kids there. So we definitely um, have that kind of worked out, which is really good. But uh, I haven't had to to take, I mean, I did when I actually, when I had my little one, Jagger, my, well, both of them, when I had Carter, he was five months old and I went and did a movie called Camp Coldbrook in mm -hmm. Oklahoma and he came with me and I've nursed my kids. So you know, you're doing all these crazy scenes and you're like, oh, sorry, guys, I need 10 minutes. Got a boob leak. And then I go nurse and then you're back to like, you know, screaming and crying and covered in blood and whatever. And then Jagger, I went and did a movie in Scotland when he was seven months old. Um, and I brought a nanny with me and my husband stayed at home with my older son and I was gone for a month. And that was incredibly difficult to navigate. Um, so I just pick and choose more wisely now. Uh, and I, that's why I like doing these smaller roles. You know, I get to go away for two days or a day or three days and, and still play and then come home mm -hmm. and be a mom. Well, it's a really tough balance to strike. Cause I, I know that it can just suck away when you're on a set, you're, you know, 14, 16, 20 hour yeah. days, sometimes just gone. And to be a parent in that, it's just something that I filter my life through being a dad first. That's by far the most important 100%. part of my life. And so that that's something that finding that I'm always curious about that. So I we, think I'm just starting to want to take roles that will occupy my brain and my body emotionally. Hmm. You know, I, I haven't had a lead since I've had kids. Right. So I think that now that they understand what I do and that I'm coming back and where I'm going and I don't need to be here because I've got a pre-K and a first grader. So I need to be here, but they, I can talk to them on the phone and, and be okay and, and focus on my work a little bit at a time. Uh, so I haven't, I haven't wanted to like put my body through that stress, that fight or flight while I was nursing and caring for babies that would feed off of that. Now they're kind of a little more independent. I mean, by kind of, I mean, kind of more independent. So, um, so I don't want to, I don't want to miss the important stuff. So I, but I still miss, you know, carrying the weight of a film on my shoulders. So it's, it's a balance. Can we talk about something specific, um, yeah. that you did that kind of just, you triggered that in the back of my mind, something you did a couple of years ago that I really love. And I think it's an underrated one, which is a uh, Havenhurst, which is this oh. I uh, such a cool little film where I think that one that didn't get recognized. I think there's a lot to dig into in that one. I really enjoyed yeah. that one. It's kind of looking at that as right before the pandemic to now right. as something. Is that the kind of stuff that you would want to go back to or? Um, it's interesting because uh, there's there's a, a movie that I've I've want to do, um, and it's a really intense, heavy role. And I swore I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do another movie like that. Like I did a movie called Shiver. Also, that's a very oh, sure. similar yeah. sort of like. You know, th there was a time where I was like, give me everything. I'm just going to get gritty and dirty and it's going to be awful and I'm going to have a hard time shaking it off. And then you're like, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm good. Thanks. Um, and I'm just getting back there. So, uh, yeah, I would I I want to play those roles. I want to play the the drug addicts, the, you know, the the abused wives, the the really dark, heavy, intense, fucked up characters that that every actor likes to sink their teeth into that I only get the opportunity to do because they're horror movies. I don't get those opportunities outside of this to be the lead and to carry that. And uh, that's why I like staying in my little community. Well, there's a 
a lot more that you can do in the horror community. I think you it's the horror is a lot of times secondary where it's, you can, you check those boxes, yeah. that thing, but you can do so much within that. And audiences are so willing in the horror community to take on really bizarre, fucked up movies with weird yeah. premises, actors they've never heard of before. hundred percent. They'll watch something filmed on a cell phone before anybody Absolutely. else. Absolutely. I mean, listen, it. there's times where I've done movies that I've, I've signed on to do that looked great. Thought I thought the script was great. And then you see it and you're like, Oh, yikes. And then <laughs> the fan, those are the ones that the fans come up to me and say, I love that movie. That's my favorite movie. And you're like, really? <laughs> what did you love about it? And they tell you and you're like, okay, I get it. I see it. I understand it. Uh, but I think, um, yeah, there's, there's a, there's like, um, a no judgment in the horror yeah. community. They're really as shitty as, like you said, on a cell phone, as shitty as the movie could be, it could be huge. You just don't yeah. know. As, and, and everybody supports one another. It's like looking around at a convention. There's no judgment based on what you look like or who, or what you talk about or things that interest you. And I think that's what makes it really special. Well, it's, there's just this willingness to just, if you can hang your hat on something, if there's that one thing in a film that you need to see this thing because they do this. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that's all it'll take. And I look at something like I just watched with my wife the other night, Tigers Are Not Afraid. I'm not sure if you've seen that or not. I haven't. But it is oh, just one of the most depressing, just gut-wrenching films I've ever seen. And it, it's mm. sort of a horror movie. It has supernatural, supernatural elements to it, mm. but not something I could necessarily recommend but i think if unless you really want that kind of gut punch but it's the kind of stuff that really at the end of the year awards are given out to and it'll just right. go unseen and unrecognized right which is right that's the thing i think if and that was actually in my mind too i was watching um uh rosamund pike in uh i care a lot so, last night oh wow she's like yeah fucking <laughs> just like dream you know and it's funny because i put it on and my husband thought i was i was watching this you know the art and or dark obsession. It was called yeah, yeah. Am with love. So I keep going back to that. Um, and he was like, is this your movie? And I turned around, I was like, I fucking wish this was my movie. <laughs> like this is like a, to play that character would just be, you know, um, like my God. Um, but in my community, I can, I can have those roles. They're just on a different scale and this has a different audience. So maybe one day, um, I don't know if I'll be around to see it. Maybe one day we'll are it's slowly starting horror slowly starting to be recognized for for that it's not just slasher and killing and blood that there's like real intense um work involved and in across the board from every department yeah. that goes unrecognized because we're we don't get the money uh to do these films because they 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 think you could make you know thanks Blair Witch you could make it for five thousand dollars and make five hundred million dollars so mm -hmm. it's it really kind of swayed uh swayed the studios to to not give in but I think we're making a turnaround but it's like there's no middle class it's like you got these teeny 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 tiny micro budget and then you've got these huge you know studio horror sci-fi um, explosions so it's nice to find the middle ground at some point no I I couldn't agree with you more and I. I think we're relatively close to the same age. And when I was younger, when I was a kid, if it was a horror film, but critics wanted to like it, they would call it a thriller. And oh. then they started calling it elevated horror. And they keep coming up with all these bullshit names for it to justify liking something that's right. essentially a horror film. And, right, and right. for me personally, um, today's episode of the following films podcast is brought to you by Bookman's. So the last time I went into Bookman's, I went straight over to the movie section as I often do. And I was so excited because one of my favorite things that happens when I go in there, I'm looking for a movie and I don't know exactly what I want to see. 
something I'd been meaning to see, and there's a blind spot. And when I saw East of Eden, I was super excited because it's a movie I've been wanting to see for years, but for whatever reason, I've just never gotten around to it. So the film adaptation of John Steinbeck's East of Eden, it's a powerful cinematic achievement. I, I know I'm not the first person to say this, but it absolutely does justice to the novel's what can only be described as profound themes and the complex characters. It's directed by uh, Kazan and features outstanding performances uh, from the whole cast, but mainly here by James Dean as uh, Cal Trask. The film captures the essence of the book while adding its own visual and emotional dimension. Uh, the cinematography, which looks absolutely incredible in 4K, captures the rugged beauty of the California landscape. So it sets the stage for this intense family drama that unfolds throughout the film. And the screenplay manages to condense this complex novel that is East of Eden without feeling truncated. It makes this really intricate plot, takes that and then just condenses it down and really only gets the essential elements of it. And all the themes are still intact with love, jealousy, and the struggle between good and evil. That's all there. And it doesn't feel like a lesser than. It feels like a compliment to. Um, if you've read East of Eden and haven't seen the film, definitely catch up on it. Highly recommend it. If you've only seen the film and haven't read the book, definitely check out the book as well. It's worth your time. Uh, but in the movie, James Dean's portrayal of the troubled cow, it's nothing short of iconic. Uh, it showcases his raw talent and charisma. The supporting cast is also incredible, especially Julie Harris, I think does an equally compelling job here um, with just an outstanding performance. And there's a depth and authenticity to these characters that wasn't very common for this time. So it's something pretty remarkable here. Uh, East of Eden, it's absolutely a classic that continues to resonate uh, to this day, still holds up. Um, I think that's mainly because of its exploration of human nature and the complexity of family dynamics. It's a timeless masterpiece that deserves a place in the annals of cinematic history. I, I think it's there. It just took me a long time to catch up with it. Uh, this is a must watch for anyone who appreciates powerful storytelling and exceptional performances. So remember, next time you go to Bookman's, they have your cool covered. Hope you enjoy the rest of the show. I'm okay with uh, embracing that it is a horror film, like something like Silence of the Lambs or yeah. something like, you know, in many ways, like something like Saltburn that I just watched the other night, that, that that's something that definitely has horror elements to it. And, right. But it's just, it's hard for, I think, people that to admit that dirty pleasure that they have, that it's something it's like that, that movie Spring Breakers I saw years oh, ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course, the Harmony yes. movie, yeah. Love, love, yeah. and I left going, that's a horror movie. Oh, for sure. That's <laughs> yeah. freaking horrific. I mean, yeah. that that that's what I think of as horrific. So the other stuff is like not really, I mean, maybe it, I mean, I guess, unfortunately now that stuff does well, happen, but, yeah. you know, it's, uh, that was horrible, horrifying and horrible. So I think, um, yeah, I agree with you. So then with Dark Obsession, that's something that really does kind of tie into the idea of isolation and where we mm -hmm. are and coming out of the uh, out of COVID and where 
how we've all been fucked up by this, you know, these couple of years. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting to see how filmmakers are taking on this particular idea of isolation between that mm-hmm. and cell phones. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, we are more alone now than we've ever mm-hmm. been. It was both 100%. literally and now emotionally the scarring from that. So is that something that attracted to you this, that sort of the themes behind this film? You know, we were talking, I was talking to someone recently about, actually about, I was doing George's other film, uh, Project Dorothy, and it's about AI. Yeah, you're the voice and, in that, right? Yeah, the, okay. and it was and it was interesting. And the reason why I wanted to do that was because it was sort of a, a similar kind of thing. And, you know, AI was, was a big topic, especially for actors. And uh, we were talking about how one would hope that th- that wouldn't take over the industry, that we would still want human interaction. We would still want to go to the theater and see a person because like we can zoom right now and do this interview. But if you were sitting in front, there's still something separating us for sure. Energetically, there's something that's not there. So I feel like as much as com- as comfortable as we all are staying in our little bubble, I'm hoping that we'll come out of this and we'll need human interaction. I just feel like the younger generation are the ones that are going to take over and they don't know what it's like to not have cell phones, to not have Zoom, to not have internet, to not have access to all those things that we did. We watched a snow day on yesterday with the kids because yeah. it's freezing in Texas and the school's closed and it's closed again today. And, um, and it's not even snowing. It's just cl- closed because the wind chills like zero. And we watched snow day and my kids were, I was like, look, this is what we did when we didn't have you know, whatever your switch or your yeah. this or your that, like we took dolls and action figures and you went outside and you played and you played with kids. And that's why I moved to Texas was because I didn't want my kids to be stuck in LA and stuck in the house and like have a social interaction based on, on this, you know, this isolation and the separation. And I'm hoping that, that at some point, kind of like how horror movies, like how you want to kind of go back to the way it used to be, because that's what feels the best. I'm hoping that we get we get there. And and I think a lot of people are exploring uh, COVID filmmakers in different ways. Um, I've done a couple of those movies that haven't, you know, one in particular that I thought was really great. We did it was the very first movie I did um, when the pandemic started. And it was about the pandemic. And it has it never got finished and it hasn't come out and it's like too late now because the ship has sailed so i think to take the idea of isolation and what can come and how f- fucked up it made everybody and make it into a film that isn't necessarily specific and and dated is really special and i think that's what this movie did well i don't think that's a theme that's going anywhere anytime soon as far yeah. as just the idea of being alone and you know i'm somebody who i tend to be a little bit of an introvert you know, I, I found my island with my wife and my kids and I'm yeah. okay there. And I thought that's where I needed to be. But coming out of this, no, I need a lot more human interaction than I ever right. thought that I needed. And right. we tell ourselves a version of what we need. And we kind of own that as, you know, being a weirdo kid that was a little bit of an outsider, listened to way too much music, cared way too much about art. So I was like, no, I'm comfortable in my room by myself. That's right. I think the story I was telling myself, but I think I lied to myself for a solid 40 years. Well, because you still had interaction. You yeah. just didn't realize how good it was for you. Yeah. I, I mean, absolutely. I started during COVID, I started uh, creating content because I was just like, I, I a, I have the time. B, I'm going to learn how to do it because yeah. I'm bored. And um, I, I, I was working on this show that I started called Common Terror. That was basically it was like me sitting down in my house with my friends watching their movies because so many of them have these big horror movies, and I like have no idea. 
I don't watch their movies. So I just know them as, you know, my friend. So I had them come over, they would go get COVID tested, then they would come over to my house and we would watch these movies together and we'd film it. We'd talk about the stuff that maybe regular people don't see because I'm seeing it from an actor, a horror actor's point of view. Like I watched, you know, uh, Friday the 13th with Kane. I'd never seen him in Friday the 13th, even though I've done a million movies with him. And, uh, or whatever I, I, we did. So we did so many and really it was because I needed someone to freaking talk to. I needed someone to talk to, but because I'd been isolated for so long, I didn't know what to talk about other than how miserable we all were during, during COVID. So it was easier, you know, to have Adam green come over and talk about frozen with me. Cause I'd never really talk. We don't, you know, I, after, I we don't talk that about movie. that stuff in real I, life. It's fabulous. Yeah. So but good. I, and I didn't tell them what they were going to watch once they came over. So they assumed that it was going to be one of my movies. I'm like, I don't want to watch something I've seen a million times. <laughs> I know how all this goes. I want to talk about stuff that I, I want to learn about. Mm. So, you know, we did, we did, you know, we did all of that stuff. Um, I'd never seen Sleepaway Camp. So Felicia came over and watched Sleepaway Camp. And I was like, holy shit, this movie's fucked up. Like, How does I get it, it hold now. up with, I, I just, I haven't seen it in the last, it's been 35 years since I've you seen it. You should watch thing. it again because okay. it's really um, sexualized and naughty and fucking weird and yeah. all the things that like weren't recognized 35 years ago. But now you see what the filmmaker was trying to do and you're like, whoa. That is way ahead of its time. And obviously it's a cult classic because people recognize that stuff. So things like that, that I thought were super interesting and to get their point of view and also get to talk to them about stuff that, you know, they forget there's like cameras because I have personal relationship with them. So that's some pretty cool stuff. Love that. I'll definitely go back. I, I have the Blu-ray sitting on my shelf. It's been there for yeah, I, I will. It's just been one of those ones where I know sexual politics have changed so much since that time period. And I was yeah. just how, you know, if you know, we, I don't think that was a, the type of film that would be concerned with dead naming someone. So it's like, right. I, it's just the, right. I think we've moved and we're more sensitive and we're more aware and we're more and in a And look at how, way. I mean, just as simple as like how all the men in the film are dressed. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I, I can you know? visualize. Yeah. That's actually, that's not the I'm men versus it. the women. The women are, yeah. look like they're more like men and the men are dressed more scantily. Of course. Ah, well, thank you. So I know we're out of time and I feel like we barely scratched the surface here. So (laughs) thank you. I really do appreciate this. And Dark Obsession is one of the good ones. I think this is a lot of fun. And I, well, fun isn't the right word. I did enjoy watching this film. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It it has something that you can chew on for a little while. She carried the weight of the movie all by herself. It's very difficult to do. It, it, she's phenomenal here. She gives she a such great a job. wonderful performance, and she wrote this thing, so you can tell. Yeah, feel. I mean, you make that's the that's what's so great about living in this time. You make you make your own shit happen because you can, but you just have to do it. It, it speaks to the uh, DIY punk rock roots that I have, and I'm I'm always happy to see that. So yeah, for sure. Congratulations, well, and uh, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to leading roles coming down the pike in the future. Awesome, me too. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Thank you, Danielle. Nice to meet you. Thanks. Take- nice to meet you too. Take care. Bye bye. Bye. Time enough to figure you out. Time enough to write this down. Wish me luck. Give me hope.
always crack.